Hello. If we haven't met, I'm Mark, um, and I'm married to Sarah, and we've got three girls, and two of them are dressed as elves tonight, <laughs> for some reason. Um, I hope you've had a good day. I'm going to tell you a story about somebody who didn't have a good day. This was taken from a newspaper article um, in Florida, and it says, a man was working on his motorcycle on his patio, and his wife was in the house in the kitchen. The man was racing the engine on the motorcycle, and somehow the motorcycle slipped into gear. The man, still holding the handlebars, was dragged through a glass patio door, and the motorcycle dumped onto the floor inside the house. I'm smiling. <laughs> the wife, hearing the crash, ran into the dining room and found her husband laying on the floor, cut and bleeding. The motorcycle was laying next to him on the patio, and the patio door was completely shattered. The wife ran to the phone and called an ambulance. Now, because they lived on a fairly large hill, the wife went down the several flights of long steps to the street to direct the paramedics to her husband. And the, after the ambulance arrived and transported the husband to the hospital, the wife uprighted the motorcycle and pushed it outside. Seeing that petrol had spilled all over the floor, the wife got some paper towels, blotted up the petrol, and threw the towels in the toilet. The husband was treated at the hospital and was released to come home. After arriving home, he looked at the shattered patio door and his damaged motorcycle, and he became really fed up. So he went into the bathroom, sat on the toilet, and smoked a cigarette. After finishing the cigarette, he flipped it between his legs into the toilet bowl while still seated. The wife who was in the kitchen heard a loud explosion and her husband screaming. She ran into the bathroom and found her husband laying on the floor. His trousers had been blown completely away and he was suffering burns on the buttocks, the back of his legs and his groin. The wife again ran to phone the ambulance and it was the same ambulance crew that were dispatched and the wife met them at the street. The paramedics loaded the husband on the stretcher and began carrying him to the street. While they were going down the stairs, remember it was quite a steep hill, while they were going down the stairs to the street, accompanied by the wife, one of the paramedics asked the wife how the husband had burned himself. She told, she told them, and the paramedics started laughing so hard, one of them tipped the stretcher and dumped the husband out, and he fell down the remaining steps and broke his arm. Bit of a bad day. <laughs> I like hearing about bad days. Um, so we're looking at our series about worship, and tonight we're thinking about how do we worship when we've had a bad day? Or how do we worship when we've had a bad week? Or a bad month? Or a bad year? Or when maybe life just will never change, and it's going to be pretty tough. So... I just want to acknowledge that the church, and by the church, I mean every church, hasn't really done the best job at taking care of people when they are in pain, struggling, finding things difficult. A um, couple of examples. Sarah and I uh, sponsor some children, um, and we were really lucky to go and visit one of our sponsored children in Tanzania. And the, the charity, who are amazing, uh, sent some material for us, and it was pretty much like everything you need to know 
when you go and visit your sponsor child. And they gave us some kind of translated words in their language. Um, but the thing was, the only thing they told us how to say was, how are you? I'm fine. As if like, there's no other response. Um, and if you've been around church for a while, that's maybe what you hear a lot in some places. How are you? I'm fine. Even if the answer really is not, I'm fine. Another example was that, um, do you remember the, the Manchester bombing? You know, the Ariana Grande concert. We went as chaplains to go and just sort of sit with people and listen to them and, you know, kind of allow them space to kind of grieve. And there was a guy I met called Alan who was telling me that he stopped going to church after his wife had died. And he didn't elaborate, but I kind of wonder whether, did he just not have the space to grieve in church? Did he just not have a kind of a safe place where he could express his sorrow? And was that the reason why he stopped? So I want us to think really, what would church look like if we created safe spaces for people to express their struggles, express their pain, express their sorrow? And the answer is worship, but maybe not the kind of worship that you might think is a different kind of worship. There's a guy called Matt Redman who's a worship leader and he says this, worship is always a choice. At times, it's an easy, straightforward one. When life is peaceful and painless, the choice to respond to God in thanksgiving and praise may not be such a hard one to make. But at other times, worship becomes a much gutsier decision. And so this gutsier kind of worship is called lament. So we're going to look at lament. What is lament? So it might be a little slide here. We lament when we are deeply honest about suffering. We lament when we express our grief and disappointment. It's a passionate expression of grief or sorrow. It's a complaint or deep disappointment. Lament starts with honesty. If we're honest, sometimes we can kind of sugarcoat the Bible a bit to make it a bit more palatable, a bit easier to understand. But it can be really helpful to remember that the people we read about in the Bible were real people who had real experiences, real emotions, and real responses. As it's December, I feel it's okay to start talking about the Christmas story. And uh, this really is an example of honesty, but also how we as Christians can maybe um, sugarcoat things ever so slightly um, to make things feel a bit more comfortable. Let's have a little think about the Christmas story from the perspective of Joseph. Not many people will look at this, this story from Joseph's perspective, but that's what we're going to do. Matthew 1, 18 to 20 says this. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph was faithful to the law and yet didn't want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. And then verse 20. But as he considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. 
So let's just think about what's happened there. Joseph's just found out that his fiancée is pregnant and he knows he's not responsible. What might his natural reaction be? Confusion, anger, frustration. But Matthew 1.20 just says, Joseph considered these things. Like he just sat there and kind of pondered it. Thankfully, people who are a lot cleverer than I am have given us commentaries to understand the original writings. And interestingly, the word considered can actually be translated as angry or very upset. It can actually be translated as he fumed over this matter. That's actually more of a natural response, I would say, than he considered it, he pondered it. He was a bit angry, you know, and he was honest about that. But the thing about Joseph that's really fascinating is he was able to reprocess his anger into grace. And he took care of Mary. He protected her from the community around them because what had happened was a bit of a scandal in that day. And the community were a bit angry about what was going on. And um, the, the thing that's fascinating for me is that Back in those days, um, it was the men that kind of dealt with all the legal stuff. In my house, it's not me that deals with all the legal stuff, but back then it was. And um, Joseph didn't actually need to take Mary to Bethlehem with him. But he did, maybe to protect her, to keep her safe, because the community around them were actually pretty angry as well. So sometimes we read the Bible... We're quite far removed from it. It's hard for us to kind of understand. And we read a word like considered, and we think like, oh, he just sat there and pondered it. But considered here means he was fuming about it. And the reason I've mentioned that, not just because it's December, but it's to start us thinking about being honest. If we're angry about something, let's be honest about it. But how do we reprocess our anger and our frustration and our pain? Well, we talked about lament, and that's basically just bringing our honesty to Jesus. The book of Psalms has about 50 to 70% of them containing aspects of lament, this honesty about despair, sorrow, suffering. Um, We're just going to look at two of them today. So Psalm 13 and Psalm 22. We're going to read a first few verses, then we'll kind of dive into it a little bit more. So Psalm 13, how long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? And Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? so far from my cries of anguish. My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, I find no rest. Really honest, really honest. But lament, it's not an exercise in despair. It's an invitation to transformation. So there's a bit of a process of lament, and we're going to take a look at it using those um, psalms again. But for simplicity and because of time, I've sort of boiled it down to three things. 
Um, there's honesty in suffering. There's remembering who God is, that he is the one who has unending kindness. And then there's this transition to praise. So with that in mind, honesty in suffering, remembering who God is, and a transition to praise. Let's dive back into Psalm 13 and see if we can spot those things, that pattern of lament. So from verse 1, this is the honest bit. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me, Lord, and answer. Lord, my God, give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. My enemy will say, I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. And then in verse 5, we see a bit of a transition. It says, but I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. Then there's this transition to praise in verse 6, where he says, I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. It's the same person who wrote all, all of those verses, but something's happened in between this kind of honesty and then this praise. And the thing that happened was, he remembered. He remembered who God says he is. He chose to think about God's unfailing love, and that helped him transition to praise. Michael Card, the worship leader, says, in the Hebrew language, vav, which is that funny-looking letter on the screen, vav is a letter that connects things. It's usually translated to mean and, but the letter vav has other uses. One of those is called the adversative. The vav adversative occurs frequently in biblical laments, and it marks a mysterious transition in the heart and mind of the lamenter. So this vav, this letter, this thing that connects things, marks a significant shift. It's mysterious. We don't really always know why this thing has happened. But when we read the Psalms, all of them apart from one will feature this. Psalm 88 doesn't resolve in any way. And I think maybe that's just because sometimes we need to be able to just go. So let's just jump back into Psalm 22 and let's see if we can spot this. Okay. Psalm 22 is what Jesus quotes when he's on the cross. By speaking the first line of Psalm 22, He's pointing us to the whole psalm. So it's a bit like if I was to say a song title now, you might think of other lyrics within that song. The title refers to the whole song. And the title of the psalm refers to the whole psalm. At the time in his life, when Jesus is being used by God the most, he's lamenting. He says... Why have you forsaken me? So let's just remind ourselves of the pattern of lament. There's honesty in suffering. There's remembering who God is. And then there's this transitioning to praise. So Psalm 22, verse 1 says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish. My God, I cry out by day but you do not answer. By night, 
but I find no rest. Then in verse 6, I'm scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. Verse 16, dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircles me. Does this remind you of anyone? They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. And then in verse 19, we see this Vav adversative, this connecting letter. But you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. So the writer has remembered who God is, that his character is that he is strength and a comforter. And then we see in verse 22, this transition into praise. It says, I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honour him. And the praise continues. So we've seen this example again, this pattern. Okay, we've only got time to look at those two, but I'd encourage you to have a look at some of the other Psalms of Lament and see if you can see that pattern. Honesty, remembering, and then this transition. The time in his life when God is using Jesus the most is when he's on the cross and he's lamenting. Could it be that the point in our lives when God can use us the most is when we're full of confusion, full of doubt, full of pain, frustration, anger maybe. Yet we still hold on to God through lament. Now the reason I'm talking about this to you is that um, for more than 20 years I've lived with chronic pain. So I have in my ankle, I injured my ankle and I've had loads of operations and it's left me with this pain that's like pouring boiling water onto sunburn all the time. And so I've had lots of interventions to try and kind of help that. Had an operation a few weeks back to try and help as well. But I know what it's like to try and worship through pain. Mine's a physical pain, but I guess, you know, you could translate that to emotional pain as well. So I know that being honest about pain and suffering is really hard. And if I'm honest, it can be really hard as a Christian, to be honest about pain and suffering. Um, because we all want the best for each other. And sometimes we can try and make God make a bit more sense. And we want to see people in a good place. But I've known lots of people who have maybe said, you know, you should be filled with joy. You're a Christian, be filled with joy. <laughs> Which is quite hard to be filled with joy when you feel like someone's pouring a kettle of boiling water on your foot. Or it's quite hard to be filled with joy when... Um, maybe you've lost your house or you've lost somebody you love. Jesus wasn't filled with joy on the cross. We've seen that. He was lamenting. And so if Jesus can lament on the cross, that's a good enough blueprint for me. Some people will think it's offensive to tell God how you really feel, but I think they forget that he already knows. And I think they forget that he just wants a conversation with his children. Hopefully, you've seen from what we've talked about today 
that it is pretty biblical to be honest with God about how you're feeling. And maybe when we say to people, how are you? I'm fine. I wonder what it would be like if we kind of really tried to explore whether that is true. Obviously respecting people, uh, because I'll be honest, sometimes I'll say I'm fine because I don't want you to ask me anymore. (laughs) But sometimes I might want you to ask me, really? So as we finish, though, it is really important to acknowledge that lament, it's not a cure for our problems. It's not going to change your pain necessarily or change your sadness or, or your sorrow, your grief. And that's not actually the point of it. The point of it is to keep us in that constant conversation with God. It's to keep us talking to him, telling him what our circumstances are. And if we're talking to God about our suffering, we're not going to suffer on our own. Some of us watched recently the Alpha video. um, And there's a really quick little reference to an athlete called Derek Redmond who uh, competed in the 1992 Olympic Games in Barcelona. He tore his hamstring in the 400 metres semi-final, but continued the race limping. Does anyone, has anyone seen this? Yeah. His dad runs on, and he managed to complete a full lap of the track as the crowd gave him a standing ovation. His dad running on to run with him didn't take his pain away. It didn't make it physically easier for him necessarily, but he was no longer struggling on his own. His father was with him. And Father God is loving. He's kind. And that's what he does with us. He gets alongside us. So we're going to watch that video of Derek Redmond running around the track. Um, every time I watch it, there's different things that I pick out. There's, uh, you'll see the dad. There's people trying to say, just stop. Just give it up. Just stop. And the dad's like, back off. We're finishing this race. Move away. We're finishing. The dad's cap he says, just do it. Every time I watch it, there's, there's something else. So as we close, lament, it's about embracing our pain and suffering. It's about being honest about it. But it's then about choosing to remember the goodness of God. That he loves us more than we can ever understand. And that leads to praise. I would be a bit like the guy who was lowered through the roof. If I hadn't had all this expensive, thank you to the NHS, treatment, I would be like the guy who had to be lowered through the roof. And it would be my friends that got me there. So that's an encouragement for us. If you know people who are struggling, you can be the friends who lower them through the roof to be with Jesus. But if you're the person who needs some friends, we need to start being honest about that as well. So we're going to watch this video. Hopefully you can hear it as well. This is uh, Derek Redmond and his dad. We invite everyone to play their part as we worship creatively, love generously and serve locally.